HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Bob's Red Mill believes in baking, breakfast, and the pursuit of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And you, of course, are tuned into the Farm Report. I am your host, Aaron Fairbanks. And whew, we have a Texas-sized show for you today. Um, if you're like me, um, you've been a little bit uh, of, in a little bit of like a head spin with all of the um, storm coverage from Hurricane uh, Harvey and Irma and really wondering uh, what the impacts have been on the ground for farmers and food producers, something that I think we have not seen quite enough coverage of in the mainstream media. So we are going to tuck into that a little bit today. We're going to be speaking with a handful of guests who are going to give us a little bit of the lay of the land of what's happening in Texas post-Hurricane Harvey. And we're going to start the show off uh, with two guests. We're going to be joined by Sue Beckwith, who is the executive director of the Texas Center for Local Food, and then Aislinn Campbell, who is the executive director for Grow Local South Texas. Sue and Aislinn, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having us. <clears throat> Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. So I think to um, start off, if, if we can just give our listeners kind of a real broad strokes sense of what the kind of agriculture community is normally like uh, in the regions you guys serve. Um, what type of stuff are you growing? What type of production is it? Um, Sue, maybe we can start with you. Sure. Uh, thanks again. So one of the things that's, that I think a lot of people may not realize is our state is so huge. We're 800 miles north to south and 800 miles east to west, give or take. Uh, and really, our local food and 
direct-to-consumer and farm-to-school programs are very new. We're very, very young in many ways. Uh, we have 28 million people in Texas, and yet uh, sustainable, well, organic, certified organic farms, we only have about 150 of those in the state. So those farms grow kind of what you would expect of vegetables that we can grow in the south, lots of summer squash, winter squash. We have all the different seasons in Texas because of our size and because of our various soil types. Uh, lots of melons, tomatoes, uh, onions, potatoes. Uh, you know, we've got a bunch of sandy soil. They grow sandy soil things. We've got some deep clay, both red and brown clay. Uh, so those are some of the kinds of crops. We have a lot of livestock, a lot of livestock farmers. We're a big ranching state, uh, and that was that was really tough uh, with this hurricane was, was a lot of the loss of livestock that we're seeing. Lots of cattle, goats, uh, hogs, and lots and lots of uh, pastured poultry. That's really an up-and-coming industry here in Texas. Yeah, I was actually surprised to learn that if Texas was its own country, it would be the 12th largest economy in the world, um, which I think gives folks a little bit of a sense of scope of what's happening from an economic standpoint. Aislinn, anything that you would add to that from um, from from your perspective at Grow Local um, about kind of the vibe of the food and agriculture community? Um, <clears throat> I think that uh, one of the things that's really important down here is that um, we are kind of in the where, where we're located down here in the coastal bend. We're kind of in this like I always like to kind of tease about the Bermuda Triangle. Kind of nobody really knows exactly what kind of food to grow right here because we are <laughs> specifically commodity farmers in this part of Texas: cotton, sorghum, <clears throat> and corn for feed, um, that kind of stuff. And so, um, getting that concept out there and kind of letting folks know what we're ha what's happening with, um, you know, how we grow down here. I mean, I think one of the big things that we talk about often is that the rest of the country, even while teachers are teaching, even in the sustainable organic area um, across the country, Texas is just now in and certainly the coastal bend of Texas, we're just now getting into season where everybody else is starting to shut things down. We're now picking up, and we're about to have a really strong, you know, winter season even. And oftentimes where we're located at, we won't even have a significant freeze. So, uh, but we also have to deal with all kinds of other things down here that other folks don't have to deal with, like crazy weather all of the time. And so that's some of the stuff that our, our small farmers are dealing with on a regular basis um, and looking for that point of education for them to get that, to understand that stuff better, to understand the different types of soil. Right here in the coastal bend, I'm dealing with literally sand on one end, and on the other end, we're dealing with heavy, heavy clay. Um, and so it's, a, it's an interesting little educational um, aspect that we have, a little triangle that we have right here. Yeah, I, I think that's one thing I'm always, I like, I've actually never been to Texas, and I always forget like how large geographically the state is and the different kind of coastal regions. And I think that both of you are really highlighting for our listeners the really diverse scope of agriculture that's happening there. We're going to be joined in the second half of the show by uh, Justin Butts who is, from Four String Farm, who's going to be able to tell us a little bit more about the storm's impact on his farm specifically. And then Nicole DeMeo, who's an advisor for Barn Raiser, which is an organization that is putting together um, a collective fundraising efforts to support farmers post-Hurricane Harvey. But Sue and Aislinn, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about um, 
as folks were learning that Harvey was coming, kind of bracing for the impact, as growers, like what is the strategy? What were you seeing or hearing from, from your folks with regards to storm prep? And did that, did that advice kind of bear out? And I don't know, uh, maybe Aislinn will let you go first this time. If, if, you know, I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that this community, we haven't had a major hurricane um, in the coastal bend um, in uh, really 60-something years. Celia was the last big, uh, significant storm like the one we had. Um, when we started seeing that coming, the, there wasn't any let's prepare to protect ourselves and make sure that we end up on the okay side of the business at the end. We were in a position where we were ha- where we were protecting our lives, right? Um, and so, and and the surge was a real concern. The flood surge was a real concern when when I left my home, and I'm actually um, in the urban area, and the and the stuff that we that Grow Local manages is an urban farm, basically. Um, but uh, but we connect with it, it's a small community down here. It's a very close rural to urban connection down here in South Texas. Um, but we were preparing for leaving your home, and when you come back, there's nothing left down here, and that the flood surges would, you know, w- would be a life issue. Um, and, and, and we, down here, we've dealt with major, odd, oddly, um, the area of our community that got hit the har- hardest has a lot of trees down here, which is weird in a coastal climate, but we actually hadn't been hit in such a long tr- time that the development of trees down here had been a huge success for our community. And so now we're having to look at, okay, well, some of us haven't even been alive long enough to even have seen anything like this before. And so not only are we cleaning up our, our personal structures, but we're also having to look at our land in a completely different place. And I know you'll get to hear more from, about that from Justin because that's a big part of what he's dealing with over there. And, and, and where his location is at is in a very, very sandy area, really near the, in Rockport, really near the coast but with lots of live oak trees, uh, native live oak trees over there. So, yeah. So, Sue, can you help us, I think, a little bit kind of paint paint the picture of, um, you know, kind of what things were looking at, like, as people returned post-storm? Well, we have a variety. You know, we're still really in the assessment phase, especially in Houston and southeast Texas, because, as Aislinn said, the first thing people have to do is make sure their lives are okay. Um, we have an awful lot of lost livestock. We have ruined feed and hay and organic feed for poultry, for example, in Texas. We have to pretty much bring in our corn. We have a milk, Coyote Creek organic feed mill over in Elgin, but we have to pretty much bring in those ingredients from the upper Midwest, so it's very expensive. Uh, so the loss of organic feed is particularly hard, even on a farmer who wasn't directly in the path of the hurricane, but who got 27 inches of rain in 48 hours. Right. Uh, lots and lots of lost hives, beehives, and the, you can't move those ahead of the storm very easily. Not if you don't. Not in just a couple of days. Lots of lost hay, which of course just got all put up down here. Flooded mm-hmm. fields, um, your listeners may not realize we do have two growing seasons here. We like to joke and say we have two, hot and cold. <laughs> but many, mm-hmm. many farmers in South Texas had already, had already had their fall plantings in, and those in many cases are decimated. So that's, they're not only going to have to replant, but now they're going to be, as soon as they can get into their flooded fields, three to six weeks behind 
for the sales opportunity that happens around the holidays. And so that's a tough one. And that's for farmers that are even two, three hundred miles from Houston. And so that's probably real widespread. And and so, you know, I know that whether you're thinking about agriculture or um, just people in general, when folks are thinking about the financial impact of this storm, you know, there's projection that it's going to be the costliest uh, natural disaster in, I think, U.S. history. And a big part of that cost is looking at replacement for folks who didn't have insurance or have access to insurance or were uninsurable. Do you guys have a sense of like what the insurance climate is for farmers? And maybe if you can let us know, I, I think oftentimes when, when, when people are like, oh, it's insurance. And so if you lose your crops, like someone out there is like writing a check and it's kind of the same amount of money, but I know that's really not the case. Do you have a sense of what resources, aside from their kind of blood, sweat, and tears that some of these producers are going to have to draw from? Well, this is Sue. Uh, most small, sustainable, and organic family farmers don't have crop insurance. In fact, it wasn't until the last two years that, that crop insurance for diversified family farms has even been available. And so it's, very, it's a very new government program. Most of them do not have insurance. Our barnraiser.us funding drive that we've got, I think we have 16 or so more days to raise $40,000, uh, will give farmers a small check, a $500 check, which is for the tiny ones that may help replace a small greenhouse. It's not going to save anybody's farm, but it will be a little bit of relief. And if we raise that money, then they will get those checks the first week of October. Uh, Long term, we have eight stellar partners from across the state. And the Texas Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association is working with uh, Farm Aid to look at long-term recovery. One of the things about our fund is that we're focused on sustainable and organic family farms in Texas, because those are the farms that we care most about, that our customers care most about, and they're also the farms that have the least amount of insurance and various government protections in the case of disasters like this. Uh, I mean... That's painting somewhat of a bleak picture. Like, not only is it like more kind of complex and the markets are often more challenging, but also that the resources are somewhat more limited um, in in a case like this where things go wrong. So we're going to hear a little bit more from Nicole at Barn Raiser is going to talk through um, how that type of crowdfunding works and how you listeners can get involved in in some small way contributing to these recovery efforts. But um, I wanted to, um, I guess, just talk a little bit more about, um, oh, man, it's just like the, the, we had done some coverage after Storm Atlas in South Dakota a couple of years ago, looking specifically at the beef cattle uh, and, and ranchers in that area who had lost um, hundreds of thousands of uh, of cattle as a result of that storm. And one of the things that came up in that discussion was an unexpected challenge of just how do you deal with the kind of biomass of uh, a dead cow or dead poultry or that kind of cleanup effort of lost livestock. And I'm wondering if you guys have any sense of how uh, your producers are, are handling that or, or where that's come up. You know, for us, we're still in the assessment phase, and so I don't really know yet. Uh, I do know that 
one of the one of the few preparation activities that the ranchers did ahead of the storm was to try and get those cattle and those other the other livestock up out of those uh, alluvial channels out of the out away from those floodplains away from the rivers right because remember hurricane harvey came through and dropped record rain on the houston and southeast texas then the rivers crested two days later so you know the rain had started to leave the houston area but the rivers were still cresting and so farmers even who had moved their livestock out away from the river had to move them again even further because the cresting was much higher than anticipated so what well, they're doing would, with the carcasses, I just don't, I just don't know. Don't know yet, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and I would add, I would add to that, you know, in the coastal region in Houston and, and the Corpus Christi and Rockport on the islands, all of that stuff. While we haven't seen a storm in sixty years, we are used to this kind of really crazy weather patterns and things that we need to prepare for, and we are we are taught and trained to. To manage ourselves in those ways, and and in all honesty, there was a lot of conversations about how well prepared we were. Um, as you know, after dealing with Katrina, we took a lot of evacuees, and we we managed a lot of the efforts during that time when Katrina and Rita were close together, and all of that. And so, I think that we were a lot more prepared, actually, for life and animal life mm-hmm. um, than than maybe you know you would think. Um, and 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 understanding even with with the major. Wimberley floods that have been happening these last couple of years. We've been prepared for rivers crusting and things that we, you know, we've been thinking about those kinds of things and we were really prepared for that. What we weren't necessarily prepared for was the idea that we're right here, we're in the ground, we're ready to go, and now we've got to get back and clean up all of this mess when we really need to be working. It's time for us to be in season now. And so, um, and, and then the other idea of it is as the water recedes in Houston, and when we're talking about the rural to urban connection, now you're talking about a, a heavy reclamation of land that's going to have to recur, to occur. Um, and, um, and, and some of the, you know, when you talk about the urban to rural connection, some of the toxicity that becomes a problem for the farmers in the areas that are in the rural areas um, to have to reclaim that land, that's a huge devastation. Of, so it's not... It's not as much life issues mm-hmm. because we manage that part of it really well. It's more about land management issues and then the idea of how do we get back up and running. And like Sue was saying earlier, we didn't have a lot of access, easy access to the education and easy access to the feed and the, and the, um, and the materials and the, um, the raw materials that we need for things down here. And so a loss of all of that, a loss of, you know, we've been building the co- – We've been building the topsoil and the compost on our lands for, you know, 50 years or 20 years or even 10 years, for that matter. It's all gone. We have to start completely over again. And so it's that, it's that reclamation of our land that's, about, that's really going to be the biggest toll. And how we help those farmers right now depends on whether or not they make it. And as she talked about, as you talked about earlier, if we've only got 1% of farmers right now, we can't lose a single one of them. And down here in Corpus Christi, we've only really been up and running for about five years. So we can't lose a single one. Now, our farmers didn't really lose a lot of animals. Now, mm-hmm. I know there, was more, there were more losses up in the Houston area, but 
Um, but they still have to do something with all of those animals. So now another huge part of it is is that they're moving an, they're having to move animals onto someone else's property while they reclaim their property and the the you know the identity tagging which I don't know a ton about that because I don't get into livestock a lot mm-hmm. um, but I know that that's one of the things that the Texas Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association and FARFA and those guys are really doing to help you know get the farmers to understand how to make sure that you can move your cattle and get them back and not have a problem with that. And those are some of the long-term conversations that they're having. So I think one of the things, too, that is encouraging um, looking at this particular campaign via Barnraiser is that there are a number of organizations who are coming together to help uh, provide resources, draw attention to these issues. And I would assume really on the ground be able to kind of communicate and and share resources and connect. And I think like when you think about the agriculture community, that's also one of the biggest assets is having folks like you, Sue and Aislinn, who are are working in tandem and, and thinking creatively about how do we look holistically at supporting one another and, and sharing needs and, and uh, really reacting to the impacts of a crisis like this. So I have to applaud you both uh, for your work. And um, unfortunately, we are just about out of time here for the first uh, section of the show. But before I let you guys go, I'm wondering, um, you know, obviously we're going to really push folks to be supporting the Barn Raiser campaign. But if they want to stay in touch and learn more about what's happening uh, in your regions, uh, what's, what's kind of the best way for them to stay involved or get involved or learn more? And maybe, Sue, I'll let you you jump in first. Well, uh, you know, there's a lot of different resources at uh, texaslocalfood.org. We will, we don't have a lot out there right now, but we'll begin keeping that updated. Facebook is really an excellent way. You can look up Texas Center for Local Food or uh, Grow Local South Texas. And as Houston, as we begin to hear more from the folks in Houston and find points of contact for information. Both of us will be putting that out onto our Facebook pages. And Erin, I just want to say one thing to your listener. One of the things I love about working with Barnraiser, not only is their incredible staff support and focus on local food, but they don't post the amount that each person gives on the public website. And so we need to raise $40,000. That's 4,000 people giving $10 a piece. And we hope, you know, we could finish the campaign by the end of this week if people were encouraged to just give $10. And I think the fact that it doesn't show the amount is kind of helpful. You know, there's no feeling like I should give more, I should push a little more. You know, most people, not all, but most people aren't going to feel a big hit from $10. And that will really help this campaign. Because really, for local and sustainable, sustainable and organic farms, the relief and the recovery has to be local. And it has to come from within our extended community around the country. Yeah, and I think, too, there's something powerful um, as someone on the receiving end of those funds just to know that there are thousands of people out there across the United States who care about what's happening and the just kind of emotional impact, uh, you know, a $10 gift can have. Um, Aislinn, anything uh, you want to add or or ways that folks can, in particular, stay in touch with uh, Grow Local South Texas? Well, I would just say, just on the back of what you're saying, really, um, we we built the entire, you know, little farmers market in Corpus Christi and the Grow Local South Texas 
seen to bring that network together, but really it's about a community spirit. And um, in our conversations with um, Justin and Kayla at Forstring Farms yesterday, the one thing that they have continued to keep telling me over and over and over again is how much the community supporting this effort and supporting them has made them feel like they could make it another day. And as we're having conference calls with, you know, Farm Aid and, and, and all of these different groups that we're working to try to figure out how to help these guys, it's consistently what can we do as a community to let them know that they are valuable to us and that what they feed us is, is important for us enough for us to, um, for me and Sue to take on an entire life career going, yes, this is what we're going to do. We're going to create these networks. We're going to help our community. We're going to make it a valuable, but that there are people in this, in the nation and in the, and in the state and in the smaller community that, that really are beginning to understand what it is that we're trying to do. It goes back to the old days of the small farms and just simply the barn raiser concept, which is we all came together as neighbors and helped each other out. Well, that's probably one of the things that we've all learned. And you'll hear Justin even mention later is that that's the number one thing that we've all learned from this entire thing is that ever, that we can get through this together if we all support each other as self-sufficient neighbors and community members that can take care of each other but but we do need the community to come in and say yes we're we support what you're doing we value what you're doing um, and as far as how can you find us uh, we're very easy to find <laughs> growlocalstx.com we're all over Facebook Instagram all of that stuff and um, if <laughs> and, I, and I'll stick my name out there everywhere we can to make sure that people know that the coastal bend of Texas, South Texas, Corpus Christi has farmers, and we need support, and we need to stay alive, and we're so thankful to just be a part of this. So. Wow. Uh, thank you to you both. Uh, we're going to take a short break where we get Nicole from Barn Razor and Justin from Four Strings Farm on the line. During that break, guys, why not just head over to www.barnraiser.us and chip in uh, a couple of bucks towards this relief effort. I would love to um, have Farm Report listeners and supporters uh, add to that $40,000 goal and and hit that, hit that agenda. So take this opportunity. We're going to be back in just a moment. Uh, Aislinn, Sue, thank you so much for joining us. Guys, we'll be right back. I'm Mike Calameco, host of Food Talk on Heritage Radio Network, and I'm here with Bob Moore, founder of Bob's Red Mill, as well as Ray and Tom Williams, who've worked with Bob for years and co-own an organic farm in eastern Oregon and Washington. Ray, Tom, why is organic farming so important to your family? It's all a matter of the soil is a source of nutrients. You increase organic matter of the soil, you increase the water holding capacity, water is becoming increasingly scarce. So in terms of sustainability, we don't think it's the only answer, but it's one answer, and it's the answer that we're trying to pursue. It's been a challenge, and it's been fun, because it, it is different, and we're learning how to do it for the last 10-plus years. We're not just doing organic, we're doing organic to high standards. Bob, why did you choose to partner with Ray and Tom? Oh, 
goodness, well, because they're the best farmers in Oregon, and they're close, and they have a bunch of acres, I think about 10,000, over in, in eastern Oregon and Washington. They're wonderful farmers, and their family have been farmers over there uh, for many, many years. It's really important that you have long-term relationships, and we've enjoyed a long-term relationship with Bob's because there are a lot of challenges to organic farming. You simply don't have as many tools as a conventional farmer, and so you have to rely on longer-term solutions. Knowing that you have a market is absolutely critical. The margins in farming are not that great, so if you grow the stuff and you can't sell it, you have a real problem. And we know with Bob's that we have a market, and uh, we turn out high-quality grains, and they buy them, and it all works well. Learn more about Bob's Red Mill and their commitment to good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. All right, we are back with our Texas size show talking about uh, the impacts to agriculture and farmers in the wake of Hurricane Harvey. We are joined uh, in the second half of the show by Nicole DeMeo, who is an advisor for Barn Raiser, and Justin Butts of Four Strings Farm. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi. Thank you so much. We're so (laughs) glad to be with you. So, um, Nicole, I'm going to start with you. You have a lot of disaster relief experience having participated in kind of uh, things post September 11th, post Katrina, and now working in collaboration with Barn Raiser. For folks who might not be as familiar with the Barn Raiser uh, concept, can you give us kind of the the broad strokes of what they do, and specifically thinking about these moments of like urgent disaster relief? Why this is such an important tool for people to know about and to support? Yeah, thank you again for the opportunity uh, to be on the show and and tell these important stories. Um, so Barn Raiser essentially is a funding platform and social marketplace, and it's 120% for all the farmers, artisan food makers, chefs, all the folks in the good food revolution who are, are leading this movement. And our role in times like these, um, when a disaster strikes, is to, you know, really step forward along with all the organizations. And you just heard Sue and Aislinn, um, and we've partnered with them in particular uh, for the Hurricane Harvey Texas farmer and rancher relief efforts. And um, again, this is what our platform is all about. We um, are all about pulling together community and connection uh, around fundraising um, and, and sharing these incredible projects and uh, farms. And so, you know, here Today, we have partnered with the Texas Local Food Center and Grow in Texas, to, as well as, you know, a number of six other organizations to uh, pull together this particular campaign for the Texas farmers and ranchers, uh, like Justin, who's on the phone with us right now. One of the things I think is so important uh, uh, to think about and to be aware of during um 
times like this, when you're looking at disaster relief, is that there's a real need for a variety of resources. So there's uh, organizations like Barnraiser that can come in and in a fairly short amount of time be putting checks in farmers' hands. There are groups um, like Sue and Aceland's who are working on more kind of long-term strategies and talking with uh, government agencies about longer-term funding streams. And then there are just people in the community who are out there pitching in with their own kind of elbow grease. As things like this are happening, you know, there's a real need for a diversity of responses. And so I'm really excited, Justin, to have you on the line. Four String Farm, it's a, it's a heritage farm in Rockport, Texas. You guys do... Um, pastured pork, poultry, eggs, seasonal vegetables. I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit about um, kind of the vibe on the farm in advance of the storm and what the land was looking like post post Harvey and the other impacts of of that storm surge. Yes, first, we just want to thank you for having us on. It is it is really an honor to be with you. And we thank uh, the barn raiser folks and Aislinn and Sue and Nicole and all, all of these wonderful people who have been pitching in to help. It is truly, genuinely appreciated and needed. Um, on our farm, we, we intensively farm 23 acres with all those things you said, pastured pork, chicken, uh, eggs, vegetables. And we don't use any type of chemicals whatsoever in our process. We, we have developed a system where our animals fertilize our gardens, our gardens feed our animals, and then it all works together to create very high-quality artisanal food. Um, prior to the hurricane, uh, our farm supported 50 families with weekly deliveries of most of their grocery needs for the week. So the way our business model is based on what we call the farm share and the farm share, uh, the, our customers pay at the beginning of the month for the month, and then they go down to a weekly drop point uh, each week and uh, pick up their order, and that is pork, beef, lamb, chicken, all different types of vegetables and herbs, and also baked goods that my wife prepares, like bread, jelly, jams, pickles, all under uh, cottage, cottage food type of thing. And so we support 50 families. And prior to the hurricane, we were uh, scheduled and staging to increase that to 100. So we did 50 per week in August, 50 families per week. And we were going to 100 families per week in October. Um, needless to say, that is, it's definitely not going to happen in October. Uh, and it, it's, it, at best, it's pushed us back. So the difference between before and after the hurricane um, it's, it's very hard to describe until you see it, but we built this farm over 17 years of doing everything ourselves, uh, building everything with our own two hands. Everything we have on this farm is paid for. Our land is paid for, our farm truck, our tractor, our barn, all of our implements, everything that we have totally paid for. Wow. And most of it's been wiped out. Uh, Pretty much everything that we farm with was destroyed with, you know, other than a few things we were able to salvage. Um, and another way to look at it is uh, uh, I knew every inch of this property before the storm. And I've walked in in the dark. I, could, I, I know every inch of this place. And today I, I don't even recognize it. 
It is a completely different environment. It was heavily forested before the storm, which is where our pastured pork came in, uh, the acorns that, that they ate. It was a very critical part of our how we farm. And now, rather than a forest, it looks more like a beach, almost like farming on a sand dune. So not only do we have to rebuild, we're going to have to reinvent our methods to fit the newer landscape we have that was changed by the storm. That sounds completely overwhelming. How how are you maintaining your energy and your spirit on the day-to-day? I mean, where do you even begin? Uh, well, t- t- um, we I have to begin with our faith. We... we um, God, we, we are farm because God called us to farm. My, my wife and I both had other careers, corporate careers, uh, before we came into farming, and we were called away from that to do what we're doing. So we have always been lifted by a very great power that has propelled us through the challenges of building the farm to this point. And uh, with the hurricane, we, our family got out during the hurricane, so... My wife and girls were safe, and, and really that, that is everything to me. Um, we came back to a lot of destruction, but uh, we, we prayed coming back and asked what we would, you know, how are we going to handle this or what are we going to do? And, and there was no question. We're going to rebuild the farm. This is where we belong. This is our work. This is what we're going to do. So the morning after the storm, um, was very that was the darkest day of my life. It was very daunting. Our place was just destroyed. It was it was really devastated. Um, and this is what happened. A friend of ours came that first morning with a chainsaw and started to help us. And then another friend came and then another friend came. And over the course of the last two weeks, we have had we don't we don't even know well over a hundred people, maybe a hundred fifty people Entire churches from Corpus Christi came up. Um, the baseball team from Texas A&M Kingsville, which is a phenomenal group of men, came and worked an entire day, and that is hard-working guys. And they wow. helped disassemble our barn and pull all the sheet metal out of the field and out of the forest. We've had so much help that we've been over, we've been utterly overwhelmed. And so, how do we keep the energy? Um, it, it is these amazing people who have been coming out. They are bringing us the energy. We're, we're exhausted. My wife and I, if it was just the two of us, we probably would just lay down and just take a nap all day. We're <laughs> so exhausted. But even today, our good friend, Dr. Mohammed Imran, came out with a chainsaw. And this is a, a surgeon. One of the celebrated physicians in our area is actually at our property right now with a chainsaw helping us clear to get back to our garden. So, the support and love of all of these people are lifting us every single day. Wow, that is that is so inspiring to hear. And I, uh, listeners out there, you can learn more um, about the farm. You can visit them. They have a great website, fourstringfarm.com. And um, Nicole, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about kind of the way that Barn Raiser works for this campaign specifically. So. Um, when folks are going and making their contribution, um, which I did during the break, and I would encourage folks to do so now. Um, Thank you. How does that money uh, get distributed? And, and how, as a barn raiser, a supporter, do I stay engaged with the campaign after, after I've donated? What does, what does that look like? 
Yeah. Um, you know, we created Barn Raiser um, to really be in the service of the farming community, um, these artisan makers and folks, and to come together with the millions of people who really care about how they eat and farm and live. And so this is a place where, you know, it's really a virtual gathering place, and we consider it as a community as you would come together around a barn. Um, and there you can do things like um, see profiles of farms and like Dustin's and, you know, uh, these makers, you can like, you can show them a little bit of love, you can share their projects. And in particular, with this campaign, um, you can come onto the platform um, and see uh the story behind uh, the farmers like Justin who have been impacted by Hurricane Harvey. Um, you can uh, see updates, regular updates on some of the folks um, who have specifically been impacted. And in in the case of working with um, uh, the Texas Center for Local Food, uh, we we came together with Sue um, in uh, just a few days uh, after the hurricane, and um, she just really championed pulling together eight different organizations. And from experience, I know it's not easy to bring eight different organizations in the middle of a disaster to work in unison for the benefit of the farmers. Um, it's, it's quite a feat. And what I love about all these organizations is that they have the shared vision of helping the organic and sustainable farmers, the family farmers like Justin, you just heard his story. I mean, it's so incredible. We, we need to step forward. Uh, to help these folks. So when you come onto BarnRaiser, it's barnraiser.us, you can contribute to this campaign. This campaign is uh, managed by, uh, you just heard Sue the from the Texas Center for Local Foods, and what, what she and the other organizations have done is created an outlet where farmers can apply for aid. So this is the immediate aid. This is the aid that Justin and his family need right now. So it goes to them very quickly, and then so they can make it through the next week um, or month. And while the longer-term support uh, may come in as well. So, um, you know, this is in, it's tax-deductible for everybody who makes a donation, um, but it, it is, it is um, managed by then the Texas Center for Local Food and the partner organizations have created the link where farmers can very easily get on, apply for that aid, and get it in short order, which is what they need for the recovery and the relief. Yeah, and having that kind of local resource um, that folks are familiar with to help kind of liaise to those funds is amazing. Well, I'm bummed because we are just about out of time. But before we go, Justin, I want to uh, give you the last word on the program today. You know, I'm up here in Bushwick, Brooklyn, and I think, 
you know, one of the things that we think about and have been talking about a lot on the show is kind of bridging this uh, kind of rural urban divide and, and breaking down some of the assumptions that folks might have um, about people living, working, operating different parts of the country. So um, just on the way out, I'm wondering uh, if there's anything else you want to share with our listeners about maybe assumptions that we might have that are not correct about Texas farmers or things that you want us to know about you, your farm, and, and the community that you work in. Yes, thank you. For, first of all, um, over 17 years of building this farm, it's a true pioneer farm. We hacked it out of a wilderness starting with nothing, not even a road to this place, and built it into a beautiful, productive, wonderful farm. In all of that time, we have never asked anyone for anything, ever. Every single thing that we've done, we built ourselves with our own two hands. The day after, and, and for the farmers out there who, 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 who face the challenges of nature every day, this is a, a challenge on a just unprecedented level when everything that you have gets wiped out. And the morning after the storm, my wife looked around, and we knew there was no possible way we could rebuild this ourselves. I mean, I don't have enough life left to rebuild what we had. But here's what we found in, in bridging the rural and urban divide. We've had so many people that we have never met and never asked to come out have come from town, all from, I mean, literally, I don't even know how many people, 100, 150 people, to come out and work. We didn't know what a part of the community we were until this disaster brought us together. And we, we don't do the work ourselves out here because we want to be isolated. It's just, it's just how you do it as a farmer. But we have learned that there is a much more vibrant community around us than we ever realized was there. And uh, that is the community that is bringing us back. So an another thing I, I wanted to mention, we, we have... Uh, we were covered with insurance. We were well covered, or at least we thought, um, with homeowners insurance, windstorm insurance, and we even have agricultural insurance on our property. But small farmers often fall through the cracks of these programs. So our home insurance doesn't cover any of our farming anything, and our agricultural insurance was really only a liability policy. So even after paying all the insurance, it's, it's not really covering what we lost and what we need to come back. So, um, you know, we're going to come back as part of the community that we, we now we know we're part of. We just feel it, and we see the people, and we meet them. And, uh, and they're from town, and they are helping, and they care. That, that's what we have learned just every day we're learning from the people coming out. Wow. Justin, Nicole, thank you so much uh, for sharing your insights. And, folks, a gift of any amount makes you part of it. Um, www.barnraiser.us. It's the Texas Farmer Rancher Disaster Relief. That is the project. You can uh, learn more about the partner organizations and um, stay up to date on, on what happens with the uh, money you give. Also peruse all of the amazing projects that you can find on Barn Raiser. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to Edward up in Connecticut, who uh, became a supporter of the Farm Report last week. Thank you so much for your donation to our work here at Heritage Radio Network. Um, we'll also be posting that Barn Raiser link on our show page, so you can find it there. Um, thank you to everyone who joined me on the Texas Size show today. Um, such a pleasure to get some insights into this 
horrible storm and, and how we can be a part of it and, and really, a, I think, a wonderful reminder of um, the breadth of, of community, the kind of the idea of like many hands making light light work. Mm -hmm. um, great to hear about all the wonderful stuff happening down in Texas. That's it, folks. You have done it. You've made it to the end of the Farm Report. We'll be coming back at you uh, next week with another show. In the meantime, uh, there's a lot of brand new shows on the Heritage Radio Network. You can get the full lineup of the 30-plus weekly podcast by visiting www.heritageradionetwork.org. So much great stuff to discover and, and listen to there. So I encourage you to check that out. And in the meantime, stay tuned in. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.